been talking quite a bit about walking in the light and being a doer of the Word of God. Amen. And last week, uh, we discussed that the Lord has a path for all of us to take. Amen. And the paths that the Lord leads us on are always good. Always. Not always easy, but it's always good. Amen. And you know, recently the Lord has renewed my youth just like the eagles. Amen. And... Uh, and that's a whole another categories of story, but God's done a great work in my life. And uh, praise the Lord. So I was feeling real strong, so I said, well, I'm, uh, I'm going up to Mission Peaks today. And I'm going to walk that baby. I had some pecans and, you know, different things and some water, but I had no idea what I was in for. It really was an amazing track up there. It's beautiful. Amen. It's about a three, three and a half hour track if you go all the way up and back down. Yeah. And of course, you know, I stopped a few times and then, uh, I don't know, it just seemed like when you got real steep to walk backwards. <laughs> so I made it to the top and I did a very dumb thing. I asked a blonde a question. It won Brenda. You know, I'm just kidding. And I said, now, if I go down this way, you know, will I get to the place that I park my car? She says, I think so. <laughs> anyway. So I headed down, and I, I went the wrong way. And by the time that, you know, I was up... My legs had already had it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But after about an hour going down, my legs were like wood. Yeah. <laughs> and I kept looking for landmarks, and I could not see the parking lot. The only thing I could see was cows. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, squirrels started looking like cougars. <laughs> and it was really weird because the way I had to go down was really rough terrain and there was a barbed wire fence right next to the trail saying keep out all these beautiful luxurious homes and, and different things there so I just kept on going and finally I got down to the bottom now the key is in life and in ministry, stay on the right path. <laughs> right? All of us have, you know, taken a little diverse course from time to time. And so, you know. But I got down to the bottom. I thought it was the end of the trail. And the barbed wire fence wouldn't let me out. So, being the great outdoorsman that I am... I laid on my back and I just rolled over and headed down the hill and got to Ohlone College, which is about two and a half miles from Stanford Avenue. And I'm thinking, how in the world? How am I going to get back? I didn't have my phone. 
The buses were going by. I didn't have no money. So I went hippie. I was begging for mercy. If you've gotten on the wrong path, and you got to go hippie or humble or whatever, cry out for the mercy of God. And I did, but it was really a neat story because it was about two, two and a half miles back to the car and I'd still be there. And if the police came by, because I was staggering like a drunk man. My legs were like, I guess I'm not 20 anymore. So I get to this one corner and there's this young man and I've got my giant's hat on. And I said, hey, can you give me a ride to Stanford? God sent an angel. (laughs) And he said, the only reason why I picked you up is because you had your giant's hat on. He gave me a ride back, and it was kind of a neat connection because he played center field for Ohlone, and they just won the state championship, and he knows Ed Hugo, who coached him when he was a kid. So there was an immediate connection. But I thought you'd enjoy that little story. Oh, we're not talking about blondes anymore. Now, today, I want to talk to you about something that is very, very serious. And it will liberate you if you hear the word and do the word. I don't know about you, but it seems like in the last few years, the spotlight of the Lord's been on me. And I don't mean front and center, attention-wise. I'm just saying, I'm receiving more light than I ever have before. And now I am responsible to walk in more light than I ever have before. Now, all of us are on different levels of life and light. Is that correct? But what I'm going to talk to you about today is really, really important. I think that what people do when they act upon, be judgmental and critical, is they close doors and they uh, disposition themselves from living and walking in God's best. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He says, judge not, Luke 6, and you won't be judged. Is that right? So, he also said, blessed are the what? Blessed are the merciful. For what are they going to obtain? For they shall obtain mercy. So, let's pray and we'll get into this. And we'll rejoice in the Lord and we'll have communion today. Father, thank you so much for the word of the Lord, which is light and life. We look to the greater one on the inside who will minister to us today. And we give you praise and we give you glory for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Turn me to Matthew chapter 6. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was dealing with hypocrisy. And uh, I'm not sure of the Greek word hypocrisy, but I think it's hupokrates, something like that. 
And basically it means to be a pretender or to be a stage actor. Possibly you've seen old plays where they had masks in front of them. Well, that was what the Bible is talking about, Hippocrates. Having a certain appearance, but behind the mask, something entirely different. Jesus talks about your almsgiving. He talks about praying to be seen in public. He says, don't do that. Don't be like the hypocrites are. Just go into your prayer closet, talk to your heavenly father in secret, and then he's going to reward you openly. So I said all that to say this, that the context, part of it at least in Matthew chapter 6, is having to do with hypocrisy. But you'll notice that in chapter 7 now, he begins to deal with being judgmental in verse 1, chapter 7. He says, don't judge. Say it with me, don't judge. How many of you know you're not the judge? Judge not that you be not judged. Recently, I had about $2,500 work done in my Cadillac. I've got a black Cadillac with black interior, and it is bad. But it's also dirty. And I got 82,000 miles on it, but it's all good. And... uh, My buddy from Vales told me where to take it, so I took it down to Hayward. And If I would have walked in there and said, I need a mechanic to work on my car. And he said to me, I'm not a mechanic, but I'm here to work on your car. Anybody ever had surgery before? I had surgery on a Saturday night before I was to preach on a Sunday morning in the church in Minneapolis that I was pastoring. The man of paste and flour had to have an appendectomy. And uh, anyway, if you were to go through a procedure and you needed to have maybe part of your colon taken out or whatever the case might be, And a person walks in off the streets and says, I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to perform surgery on you. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is a judge. He stands at the door, but it's not me. And it's not you. And so Jesus said, don't judge. That you be not judged. Notice with me in verse 2. Here's why he says, For with what judgment you meet, or whatever you deal out, is going to be dealt back to you. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. So the question is, is how will we be judged? He said in verse 3, Now, why do you look at the mote that is in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to your bro, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? There's a lot of strange people in the body of Christ. I love them, but they're strange. 
and they think they have the gift of suspicion. Or they like to say the gift of discernment. You know, that gift doesn't work on anybody but other people. Maybe they should turn that around. Oh, I can discern a problem a hundred miles away. Verse 5, thou hypocrite. First cannot cast out the beam out of thy own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. I mean, if you got a, if you see a splinter, and you're going to see things, you'll be tempted to judge. If you see a mote in your brother's or sister's eye, and you start judging them, when you have a railroad tie in your eye. That don't make sense. Now, there's a way to help people. There's a way to mentor people. There is a way to lovingly put your arm around a brother or a sister, but make sure that that beam out of your own eye is gone. Otherwise, you don't even qualify. Much less you must be led by the Spirit of God. But love would always point to the answer. Love will not put people down. Love will build people up. Love is tough sometimes. And love tells it like it is. But... There's always coming out on the other side with the love of God. Help me, Lord, today to preach this the way it should be preached. You ever been through anything? I mean, if we turn this service over to atop that test, we'd be here all day. So here's what you do when you've been through something and you've come to the other side. You take a brother and sister by the hand and you say, here's what I did. And by the grace of God, I made it through. And I know that you're going through a difficult time, but I'm praying for you. And I'm believing that by God's grace, you're going to go to the other side. Is that good? The message says this, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge in your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you really have the nerve to say, let me wash your face? When your own face is distorted by contempt. Man, I'm glad you're enjoying this. This is going a lot better than I thought it would. And keep enjoying it. Because church ought to be a place of joy. 
It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again. Playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Now He gets bold here. He says, now wipe that ugly sneer off your own face. And you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. And then this is interesting. A critical negative spirit is what drives people from the church. Let's be honest about it. You, me, all of us. Usins. We have all sorts of ideas about what others should do. And what others shouldn't do. But we clothe it in spirituality. And we say, I'm not judging. I'm just saying. It's kind of like, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Yeah. That's what judging is. When we judge people, here's the result. We get judged according to what we said they should do. Now look at James chapter 5. James the fifth chapter. Well, they should and you should. What about your own backyard, Buster? I don't know about you, but I got enough to do to keep myself right before God, much less you. Anyway. Now I'm going to read this, and so don't try to keep up with me up there. But in, in James 5, King James, he says, Grudge not one against another, brothers, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands at the door. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't complain, brothers, against one another. So we've already established the fact that there is a judge. But it ain't us. Aren't you glad? Now turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 11. This is real serious stuff. Very serious. You will hear a lot of things as a Christian, from other brothers and sisters about other brothers and sisters. I cannot believe the amount of information I get sometimes just from ministers about what so-and-so supposedly did or about what so-and-so supposedly said. I am not the judge. You are not the judge. And what you must keep in mind, or what we must keep in mind is this, is there are always two sides to every story. I said, there's always two sides to every story. I can remember my spiritual father, one time he was sleeping, and a great light came into the room. And it was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to him and says, Do you know brother so-and-so? He called him brother. And he says, Yes, I know brother so-and-so. 
and what was occurring in the certain denomination that he grew up in, if you divorced your wife and remarried, you could never be allowed in the pulpit in that particular denomination again. And the ministers were judging the brother. And the Lord spoke very specifically to my, my spiritual father. And he said, who art thou? First he said, whose servant is he anyway? Is he your servant? Well, he's certainly not my servant. Then it must be your servant. And then the Lord spoke to him and says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? The judge stands at the door. You will save yourself a lot of distress if you just learn to be sweet. Learn to be loving. You know, my dad worked for Park Davis. Park Davis was a pharmaceutical company back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. My dad was quite a salesman. He was an amazing salesman. He won seven trips. They sent him to Rome. They sent him to the Rose Bowl. They sent him all over the world because he was always first in his fleet. An amazing guy. Thank God my dad's in heaven today. Praise the Lord. And uh, he always told me, he says, Mark, he says, you can catch a lot more bees with honey than you can with vinegar. And you know what? People will really, really enjoy being around us if we would just be more loving. Say it with me, the love of God. Is shed abroad abroad. in my heart. My heart. James 4.11. He says, don't speak evil of one another, brothers. For he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, now notice the series is on being a doer and walking in the light. Thou art not a doer of the law, but... A judge. So what does judge mean? It means to to pronounce an opinion concerning right and wrong. When we judge our brother, what we do is we put ourselves in the same place as the law. In effect, what we're doing is judging the law. And that is something that none of us have any authority to do. Because there's just one lawgiver. And so who are we to judge another person? Think about it this way. If you're a judge, you're not a doer. If we condemn others, we condemn ourselves. If we criticize others, it's going to boomerang on us. In Romans 2 says, you are inexcusable, O man. Whatsoever thou art that judgest, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, you condemn thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. The message says those people are in a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on high ground, 
where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens. And he holds us to what we have done. Don't look so sad. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. So, here's the point. We're going to be held accountable. Amen? Tony, stand up. Please. Now, if I see something that Tony should be doing, and he's not doing it, and I declare, Tony, you ought to be doing that. You know what I'm literally saying? Tony, I have light. I have light. He may not have light. And if I put that out there like that, then I put myself in a position to make sure that I must act on the light I have. Because if I don't, it's going to boomerang on me. You can be seated, Tony. Thank you. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said it this way, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Now read verse 37 with me. He said, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Think about it. Words reveal what you see. We're going to be judged by what we see. We're going to be judged by our words and by our works. Everyone is tempted to judge. But the bottom line is this. We're not qualified. So we need to button our lips. We don't know what's in a person's heart. And I'll tell you one thing about my heavenly father. He delights in taking fallen soldiers and causing them to stand. We as part of the body of Christ should not kill our wounded. We should be like the good Samaritan going down the road of life and pouring in the oil and pouring in the wine. Because I'll tell you what, God is able to make people stand. I'm not sure that everyone's connected with this. But this is so vital. This is so important. Glory to God. My God's a good God. My God's a God of turnaround. I'll just be honest with you. If it wasn't for the Lord, and if it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be deader than a doornail today. But I'll go take it a step further. If it wasn't for the mercy of God. And it wasn't for the grace of God. I wouldn't be standing here today. No way. We must cry out for God's grace. 
and God's mercy. Say it with me, Jesus. Jesus. Thou Son of David, have mercy on me. In John chapter 12, just to summarize this, how many of you know that there came a day that Mary, she took a pound of ointment of spikenard, it cost a lot of money, and she anointed the feet of the master and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then says one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Now listen to the spirit of judgmentalism. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? He was indignant. He was angry. You mark it down. One of the earmarks of being judgmental is being angry. Now who is Judas judging? He's he's judging Mary the sower, and he's judging Jesus, the reaper. And in verse 6 he said, this he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he had the bag. And he was a thief. And he was hypocritical because he's pretending to care about the poor. Let me ask you a question. Did Judas receive judgment? He sold the master out for how much? 30 pieces of silver. Did he find mercy? I don't think so. Somebody said, yeah, but he was one of the disciples. And, you know, Pastor Mark, you've been in ministry over 30 years. And, you know... I'm just a Christian. No one's excluded. No one's excluded from this. Romans chapter 14. Let's look at another one real quickly. Romans 14 verse verse 2 actually. It says, For one believes that he may eat all things... Another who is weak eats herbs or herbs. (laughs) Been listening to Ed Dufresne too much. (laughs) The sound (laughs) that saved a wretch like me. That's all right. I'm not going to judge you. (laughs) I'm still waiting for that to happen when Brenda's preaching. And she's behind the pulpit and forgot to turn her phone off. And what's your little jingle? The Sting. the, The movie, The Sting, yeah. Now notice verse 3. He says, Don't let him that despise him that eats not. And let not him which eats not judge him that eats. For God has received him. So what are they doing? They're judging one another over food. The issue was some people brought, bought their food 
for where idols were worshipped and so forth and so on. And it didn't seem to, you know, bother them. Other people just ate herbs or herbs. How many of you know they're both wrong? They're both wrong. They're both wrong. And verse 4 says, Who art thou that judges another man's servant? For to his master he stands or falls. Yeah, and he'll be held up. For God is able to make him stand. Read verse 5 with me. One man esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Amen. You want to eat herbs? You want to eat? You want to be a vegetarian? Go ahead. But whatever you do, don't judge me for going to the house of prime rib. You know? Because I'm going to eat that fatted calf. You know I'm going to eat that fat. <laughs> and then don't look down on people that, you know, like to eat a certain way. It's all good. It's fine. I mean, let's stay in love. Amen? There's... Way too much preaching on, on television. There's way too much preaching about diets. Jesus did not tell us to go into all the world and preach diets. But he did say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, there's a pill for everything. But my brothers and sisters, I'll tell you what, the best medicine you can get hooked up with is God's medicine. He said, Proverbs 4, he says, my son, attend to my words. Climb thine ear to my sayings. Keep them in the midst of thy heart. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them and their health to all their flesh. Stay full of the word and don't fall out. We don't need to be falling out with other people over doctrinal issues. I was having breakfast with a friend the other day. And he said, you know what? All this correction and all this doctrinal stuff really is a waste of time. Now, I'm not talking about something that is just absolutely heresy and outside of the the Word of God. But how many of you know in the body of Christ, we're not going to agree on every little thing? But what we do need to agree on, we need to agree on the fact that Jesus Christ died, He was crucified, He was buried, and He rose from the dead. And we're going to go turn the world upside down with the good news of Jesus Christ, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's our Savior, He's our Healer, He's our Baptizer in the Holy Ghost. And He's coming soon. Look at your neighbor and say, he is a coming soon. He's coming soon. Here come the judge. Hallelujah. But the good news is this. You know, that whole context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
talks about why many are weak and sickly among you and many even die prematurely. He said it's because of the mannerisms that you conduct yourself in when you come together to have communion, to partake of the bread and to partake of the blood. And he said one of the main indictments is you're not discerning the Lord's body. And that is a threefold application there. Number one, we must discern the fact that his body was broken for us and that healing is available to us. No matter what the doctors say. No matter what your voice sounds like. According to the word of the Lord, we are the whole and we are the healed. So we must discern that. Secondly, we must discern our place in his body. What does that mean? That means that God has given everyone a place to serve in. And we must come to the place where we know and we understand to what church he's called us, to what people he's called us, and roll up our sleeves and serve with all of our might. And there's a lot of people that are not discerning their place in the body. Listen, my brothers and sisters, you don't have to look to man to promote you and put you in a place where God has in mind for you. Oh, now I'm going to preach. Well, I went over to this church and I went over to that church, you know, and they wouldn't let me use my gift. Be careful now, Mark. And it just doesn't seem like anybody can recognize my gift. Well, it might be that that gift that you have is not for now. Or it might be that you think you've got something that you don't. That's none of my business. So, either way, don't wait until you get to the perfect place start being faithful right where you're at if you're called to be a preacher go clean the toilet Dr. Ed Dufresne said I went from the toilet to the pulpit listen God honors faithfulness and he honors people that will serve And I'll tell you, by the grace of Almighty God, the eyes of the Lord are upon you. And He sees you. And He knows how to promote you. Isn't that right? Promotion doesn't come from the East. Promotion doesn't come from the West. But it comes from Him. And so, don't look to me. Don't look to Pastor Tom. Get busy right where you're at and let the Lord do a mighty work in you. Is that all right today? Good, I'm not finished. Well, what can we do, Pastor? We could repent. I've seen it over the years. You know, you can't pastor for over 30 years, now 28 here, but Back in Minnesota, I've just seen it over the years. Just people just floundering and going from place to place to place. Just thinking, what? 
it just doesn't make sense. All right, now, in closing, and I am closing, James chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Did you wear your shouting clothes? I know it's a serious message, but it's one we need to hear. Amen. But oh, look at the glory to God. Look at the result. In verse 12, he says, so speak ye and so do. As they that shall be judged, now notice says, by the law of liberty. Remember, we're talking about our words and we're talking about being a doer of the word and walking in the light. It says, now look, you and I can position ourselves to be judged by another law, the law of liberty, the word of grace. In verse 13, it says, for he shall have judgment without mercy. That has showed no mercy. But oh, that's not you. I said, that's not you. That's not me. How many of you know mercy is something you cannot pay for? It's been bought and paid for by the head of the church. Those that judge will have judgment without mercy like Judas. But he that showed no mercy shall not have mercy. But notice this last phrase. Oh, glory to God, get happy. And the Bible says, and mercy rejoices against judgment. And what's that mean? Well, first of all, it means judges don't get mercy. But mercy will rejoice over judgment when you've sowed it. When you've been merciful. When you've not been critical. Here's what, here's what happens. When you get to a place where you're in jeopardy of being judged, you'll get mercy. If you sow it, you'll reap it. Blessed are the merciful. Let's all stand up, everybody. I've spoke long enough. Let's raise our hands toward heaven.